Hi, guys. Welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. We got Brian with us today. And of course, guys, you know what we do here. We help you think biblically. We help you escape your church's echo chamber. And of course, challenge your status quo. Now, guys, do not forget to like, subscribe to the Church Split. Leave a five-star review. Make it spicy. And just remember, guys, if you're going to give us a one-star review, there better be a creative insult or attack. If you just say something that actually is logically coherent, I cannot accept that. As a one-star review. Ad hominem on top of ad hominem. Yeah, just make it juicy. All about Will. And then all about Brian. That was the rule. So then what we'll do is then, of course, we will post it and you will be featured uh, with your five-star review and the one-star reviews we will mock into oblivion. But before we get rolling much further, we have a special guest with us. We have a good friend of mine uh, that I got to know through my church, who's a friend whose church is associated with my church. And we became good friends because we're cut from a very similar cloth as far as our thought process is concerned. Now, this name, Ian Renwick, might be familiar to some of you who have been around, and he did an entire series on our channel. You can find it in our playlist of Unity and Diversity, where he goes through the mid-axe dispensational position, and he explains it. Now, of course, we are always looking for intelligent people to explain other theological positions, whether that is eternal conscious torment of hell, annihilationism, or covenant theology, or standard dispensationalism, or preterism, any of the isms. We are always actually on the lookout for those people because we do want to unite the divided body. So if you know somebody who has a position that they're passionate about, well-studied about, please put us in touch, and we'd love to have them do a series for us as well that we will post in addition to our normal posts. That way we we can have a library here of different views, which I think would be great. But with no further ado, everyone, welcome our very good friend, Ian Renwick with Flat Cap Theology. How are you doing? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Awesome. Okay. couple things, Ian. You are wearing yes. a shirt. What does your I shirt am. say? It said, exegesis doesn't care about your eisegesis. Cool. What does exegesis and eisegesis mean? Can you explain that to me for a second? <clears throat> exegesis is pulling things out of the text. To interpret, eisegesis is putting your own preconceived notions into the text in order to bring those by, right back out. Exactly. So now the funny thing is, if anyone knows anything about our merch store, that shirt is on our merch store. Now, yes. I'm not saying this as a shameless plug to get you guys to buy this no. shirt. I am saying this because we ran a contest where we were a very, very little and baby uh, platform. And Ian... Uh, won the contest. We had somebody design a t-shirt for us um, and whoever did it, we'd send a free shirt. And he came up with this idea. And ever since then we put it and it's actually our most popular shirt on there. It's if my we, favorite. If we actually made money off these things, cause we have to have them like bare bones to pay for Teesprings printing, we'd have to pay royalties. But right now royalties would be like 25 cents a shirt. So <laughs> Because I think we made I mean, like a buck. <laughs> I bought two of them. I love the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so over a long period of time, you'll be able to spend ten dollars. So, uh, but anyway, guys, Ian, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Flat Cap Theology and what you do there? Yeah. So, uh, Flat Cap Theology is a channel I started a while ago. I, I put out two episodes, but you know, life and ministry. I'm a full time pastor, so life and ministry kind of got away from me for a little bit. Um, but I am planning on dropping my third episode. Uh, so you guys won't have a lot of material to catch up on, uh, but I'm planning on dropping my third episode uh, either this Friday or this Saturday. It is a rebuttal episode. So the, the editing that goes into that is a little bit intense, um, but it, it'll be dropping either Friday morning or Saturday morning, depending on when I can get that done. But uh, flat cap theology exists to 
uh, educate, equip, and encourage believers in their everyday life um, to, to do the work, um, essentially, uh, of, of living life together, of, of influencing your community where you're at with good, solid theological and biblical truth. Right, in a rigorous discourse kind of way. Um, yes. That's, yes. That's one of my favorite parts about anything that you do. Even if somebody disagrees with you, they have to at least acknowledge the fact that you care and that you are doing yes. your best. So yes. uh, and of course, flat flat cap is only because you wear really cool hats that are flat. I'm, I'm Scottish by descent. Uh, <clears throat> and so I like flat caps just because they keep my head warm. Um, I'm not balding or anything. I just like hats. So uh, Fair enough. yeah, I have, I have a wide assortment of, of flat caps. They're very Scottish. So. And it's, you also have a glorious beard. So anyway, I do. I found out through uh, some ancestry DNA tests that I actually have a bit of Norse mm. liking in me, which is where the red beard comes from. So nice. That's good yeah. to know. Oh, uh, you're my Viking, Viking friend. Yes. <laughs> I wish you could have the hype together. on that, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, now. One of the reasons why we want to have you on now, people don't know this because Ian and I are good friends. Ian has been extremely patient as we've, we've pretty much con- continually postponed or our schedules didn't line up, but it was one postponement after another postponement of us having you on. Now, originally when we wanted to have you on, we were going to do like a Q and a of mid of sensationalism because a lot of people aren't familiar with it. And we were going right. to talk about all the objections that we have had. Now we've had a few, but nothing was too crazy. But then what this one theme kept coming back to Ian and I through our ministry experiences and our general overall uh, observation of the church, which is this bent that in the American church, there is a bent toward anti-intellectualism. Uh, in fact, being raised, I was raised IFB, was very anti-intellectual. In fact, they would talk about how horrible academia was. And mm. so you're hearing, oh, education is bad. These places are only liberal think tanks. There's no such thing as a moderate view in academia. And of course, when you get out, you found, find out that's untrue. So now that is a big issue I see is anti-intellectualism in the church. In fact, if you try to be smart, you try to use like even laws of logic. I was told recently by somebody that, well, Will, you're not the only person that can use logic. And I'm never claimed to. I'm just saying that mm. we need to be consistent in our logic. So Ian, what are your thoughts real quick on just being of the anti-intellectual issue? Why is it that you think that has popped up in the church? I, in large part, I think, you know, like you said, it, an, the, the, the whole s- phrase that keeps coming to mind is anti-intellectualism is killing the church. And if you look at the data, <clears throat> polling data, and it doesn't matter whether it's a left wing or a right wing source, the data stays pretty much the same. Whether it's people our age <clears throat> or younger, they're leaving the church in droves. And it's because they're asking good questions for which the church does not have an answer. And uh, by and large, the church just doesn't have an answer for the questions they're asking and unbelievers and and people who are, who are looking for answers have really great questions. And when the church can't answer these really great, great questions, we tend to, uh, to see these people leaving. Right. Um, And because we, we, we just go to the Bible, which again, it's, it's not a bad place to go. But by and large, a lot of the people that are asking these questions don't trust the word of God as an authoritative source. And so we have to convince them through logic, through our intellect, to at least admit that 
Okay. Well, that point is true before we can get them to listen to the gospel, because, you know, if they're not going to listen to the gospel because of this intellectual block that they have, we have to deal with the block first before we can get them to the gospel. And I, and I think that that seems to be a bit of a, of a, a catch 22 or a dirty byword uh, in the church. Well, we can't use our minds because, you know, that's, that's <laughs> the word of God is living and it's powerful and, you know, it's, it's, it's enough. Um, yes, but what if they don't think it's authoritative or what if they can't answer the question that they have with any meaningful, um, resolution, right? One of the things I've had, I, I had an issue with. So when I was, a uh, when I was doing the youth group at door Baptist, one of the big issues I had, uh, was I, it hit me at one point of, it's not enough to just tell these kids that the Bible's the final word of God. Mm-hmm. That is a claim without evidence. So what I had to do is I went through a whole series just talking about the historicity of scriptures of uh, we went through some of the areas that people have had debate over. And then we also went through apologetics argument for God's existence, because you have to have good reason to even believe the Bible's authoritative before you accept this authoritative. Because mm-hmm. if I'm an atheist and I go, I don't believe in God. And you go, well, the Bible says you're a fool if you don't believe in God. And as an atheist, I'd go, okay, so does the Quran. Yeah, so I don't what? care. Yeah, what's the right, big deal? Right. I, yeah. I did you not hear that I was an atheist? <laughs> like, yeah, so and yeah. thereby I don't accept the word of God as authoritative. Exactly. Um, so you can't make an appeal to something they don't see as an authority. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> so that's why you have to use intellect and logic to answer these questions, to get them to a place where they're ready right. to hear the gospel. Now, my, my next well, real quick, so before we get too deep, can you tell people a little bit about your background in, in the church and things along that nature? So that way people just kind of get a feel for you. They know us already. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm a full-time associate pastor uh, at Valley Bible Church here in, in Stephen City, Virginia. Um, if you want to get to know me and my heart a little better, I preach every other week. Uh, Valley Bible Church, we stream those straight to Facebook. Uh, you get to see my teaching style and all that. I'm very passionate about equipping people with knowledge uh, because I think the the better armed you are, the better you're going to do when challenges come. Uh, <clears throat> my background, I'm you know originally, my background is music. Love music. Um, was going into college to be a worship arts director uh, to get my music degree in, in music ministry. Uh, my wife convinced me not to do that. She convinced me to go into the pastorate along with a bunch of other people uh, who just saw that gifting. My dad's an educator, was in education for, for 40 years, still is in education. Uh, to this day, he's, he's what, 72, and he's still teaching at the collegiate level. Um, so I come from a long line of, of teachers. Um, my background, uh, as far as my, my undergrad, is in uh, uh, ministry with an emphasis in biblical languages and theology. Um, working on my master's. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, my master's is in Bible. (laughs) So, um, you know, we're, you know, that that's kind of my background, but I use what I know to, to equip people and to teach people. Cause that's really where my heart's at. I'm not much of a preacher. I am a teacher. Um, and I want to make sure that people are equipped and armed with the knowledge they need to succeed, uh, in a society that's increasingly post-Christian. Right. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, because uh, yeah, actually, before I get into all that, Brian, what were, what are, keep us on some guardrails. You're the one with the questions. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, and, and Ian kind of hinted at the first one already, but you talked about how anti-intellectualism is killing the church. 
exactly what do you mean by that? What, how is it dying? What is, what are the ramifications of essentially being anti-knowledge or trying to go easy on the congregation make sure they don't, they're not filled with too much head knowledge? Yeah. You know, what is, um, oh, I forget who, who used to say it, but it was a famous preacher that used to say, you know, you want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And I understand the, the desire and the want to do that. You want to make sure that the, the knowledge and the information is accessible to everyone. Um, but intellectualism seems to have gotten a bad rap in the church because of the desire that we naturally have as, as Christians to be spirit led. And that's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. We're commanded in scripture to be spirit led, which has wrongly been juxtaposed to being intellectually led. So we have this, we have this tension in scripture and, and we as Western thinkers really don't like this, this, this tension, right? Um, this dissonance between being spirit led and then also using our minds. Um, and it's almost kind of this, uh, the church is falling into embracing at least some of the ideas of, of Gnosticism, right? Gnosticism says that anything of the material plane is by its nature bad because we're all spiritual in nature. And so our minds are naturally bad. Uh, so we shouldn't be using it. We should be led by the spirit. Um, I, I'm, I'm over, I'm overdoing that point a little bit just to, just to get across the cognitive dissonance that we have with that. But it's as somehow if using our God-given minds to think, uh, to think critically, uh, to, to reason out why we believe uh, is somehow sinful. Um, and I don't, we, we, we've gotten so far away from the traditional roots of the faith. If you look at, at the, the early church fathers, I was even talking with uh, Stephen Boyce today, um, which is a name some of you might be familiar with. He, he posted something about this lack of intellectualism in the church. And I said, it really, it all boils down to the fact that or, uh, excuse me, he was talking about C.S. Lewis and, and or J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And I said, they just don't make writers like that anymore. And he says, no, they dedicated themselves to, to being theologians, to being good writers. And they thought deeply about things, which when you read mere Christianity by, by, by C.S. Lewis, you can see that. Um, oh, yeah. But we've gotten so far away from that because we want to be spirit led. We want to not. It's almost as if like the, the, the televangelist culture has pushed us so far into we don't really want you to think too hard about this stuff, because if you do, you're going to see the man behind the curtain. And we really don't want that. And so it's led to some very shallow Christians, which has led to this put the cookies on the bottom shelf mentality. Um, which has also led to a mass exodus when you have the thinking yes. types in your church. Because it's yes. kind of we see the same thing in public schools, right? Girls tend to do better in the classroom than boys because boys tend to be more hands-on learners. Girls tend to be um, more book learners, uh, just because men and women think differently. Um, that's why I'm a complementarian. Oh, anyway, but uh, <laughs> but and jump topics <laughs> and shifting. Time for the hate. No, but then the other thing is is the same thing with the church, though. The church has become it's that almost a seeker friendly movement, right? We want everyone to yes. feel welcome. We don't want anyone to feel challenged because we don't want to offend anyone. You know, take, come as you are. And because we don't want it, we just want to keep feeding you those cookies on the bottom shelf. Well, when you're doing that, you are, guess what? Keeping the cookies on the bottom shelf is a lot of fun at first, but at, yes. over time, it's really bad for your health. Yep. And so what yep. you need is you need better things in your diet. There's a reason why Paul talks about the milk and then the meat. But if we mm -hmm. keep making our churches think tanks of nothing but milk, then you then you what you're going to have is a bunch of babies. 
or you're going to have the people who are thinkers. You're going to have somebody like me in the church. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm not saying I'm the smartest person, but I am a, by nature a thinker. Uh, you're going to have somebody like me in the church as a teenager going, but what about this? 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 I need answers and I'm not getting them. Yeah. And something else is going to fulfill those answers. Yeah. And guess what? Right, right. When you start Googling, guess what's going to come up? Secular well, stuff. Start it's not the Christian stuff that comes to the top of the Google results. Right. Nope. Exactly. And I think that that, you know, we've been preaching at our churches um, through first Peter. And I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but I think this is a good place to insert this verses. First Peter 3.15. And I got the chance to actually preach on this, which was really fortuitous um, because I, I got to really share my heart uh, with the church. And it, and it says, uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ of the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think for me, I'm really good at the first part, maybe not so good at the second part, but <laughs> that uh, defense, right? To make a defense, that's apologia or apologia, depending on how you want to say it. Um, but literally that means to make a legal case, which means you have to make it logical. You have to, it's, it's like you're presenting uh, as a lawyer, uh, your case before a judge and you, the judge is not going to, uh, to award you the case or give you the verdict. If, if your case isn't logical, if it's not reasonable, if it's not well put together, um, but, you know, people hear that word. And I think one of the pushbacks that I got every time I mentioned the word apologetics, well, why should I have to apologize for my faith? Oh, no. I have to apologize for my faith. It's the worst. That is the worst. <laughs> because we've taken that word apology, which means to give a reason, right? To give reasons for. Um, and we've, we've turned that into to sorrow, to saying I'm sorry. And, and yeah, I guess in English, they're, they're sort of interchangeable. But that's not what the original definition of the word is. And I'm saying, I'm not saying you should apologize, you know, you should say you're sorry for your faith. I'm saying you should be able to defend your faith. And I think that that goes into this, this intellectualism discussion that we're having, because if you don't have well-reasoned, well-thought-out, logical presentations for the hope that is within you, and you don't do it with gentleness and respect, people aren't going to listen. Right. And so one of the things, and I mean, if, if anyone thinks that this is unscriptural, if you look at church history... What do you think all the councils were? The Council of Nicaea and all the other ones. If you look at all the councils that took place, do you think those were peaceful? Those were a group of people debating and arguing, is Jesus hotly. God in the flesh? Is, hotly is debating. Yeah. Hotly, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And rightfully so. They were discussing big issues. And I can't say I faulted many people on either side of the debate. They were rigorously trying to figure it out. And then you go back further into your own New Testament. And guys, in, the, in Acts chapter 17, Paul reasons with them every day in the temple. Go back even further when the Jews are going, what the heck do we do with these Gentiles that are in the church now? What happens? Well, they all, it, the quote is, they had no small disagreement. No small, yeah. No small disagreement. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so debate is normal. And this is actually a big frustration I have yeah. because uh, Brian and I get accused of being arrogant all the time. Just well, you. What? Just you. Just me? You get accused of it too. Don't even start. <laughs> By the way, I think your mic is falling there, buddy. Oh. Um, but uh, but we get accused of that all the time. Arrogant. We're too confident. It's like, no, we, we have well thought out you know, arguments for now. And I just... I'm okay with changing my mind. I just need to see it falter. If you can show mm -hmm. me that my argument's wrong, if you show me that my reasons are bad, my logos is bad, 
then cool. Now, yep. uh, another thing people seem to miss is the very Greek word in John one. I wanted to mention this before you got rolling too much. Cause I know you will, and you might've already had this thought, but one thing that also sticks out to me is in John chapter one, it is the word became flesh, right? And yep. the word was God. And then the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word word there is logos. And mm. that is literally where we get the word logic. So yep. this is the logic became flesh. You could almost say yeah. the word of God. The Torah was also described as the mind of God. So again, these are things that aren't bad. So continue. I apologize for my tangent, but yeah, it would be helpful. no, no, it was great. It's fantastic. Yeah. That, I mean, literally that is where we get the word logic And and to go back to what you mentioned about acts chapter 17, I think that's a really a solid place to go because in uh, in the middle of that verse, uh, Luke uses two words that are really cool, um, uh, explaining and proving, right? So he's explaining and he's proving. Um, and this word explaining, normally we would expect to find the word exegesis, right? We don't find that here. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> the word that, that Luke uses is dianoigo, um, which means to fully open up, Okay. Now, Luke, using this word as a physician, it has a little bit of a different connotation because what Luke is saying here is uh, to fully open up in a physicianal or in a, in a, in a doctoral sense, uh, in, a, in a, you know, being a doctor means literally this woman is giving birth to her firstborn and it is the first time her womb is opening up. Okay. That's what Luke is saying here. Yeah, you know, Paul is literally fully opening up or explaining or expounding um, why these people should believe the gospel to a completely Gentile culture. Um, and then he, he um, explains and then he proves, which is paratithemy, um, which is that proving, which means he sets before or beside uh, another way that you could put this. And I love this. I, I think this isn't Thayer's. Um, I'm, I don't remember exactly where I got this, but um, it literally means I quote or bring forth as evidence. So he's quoting sources. Um, he's not just winging it. You know, he's actually, he knows the material, um, both in, in, you look at Mars Hill, he knows both his material and he knows their material. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold he's up. making good use of it. So you're telling me that Paul studied and knew Greek pagan culture and theology. Imagine that. Yes, he did. <laughs> what? Yeah. But yeah. I thought to study anything like that was to study the doctrine of the devils or something. Nope. That's what that's nope. what that's what uh, old Tom, Tom Tommy boy at a uh, church always told me. Uh, so, yeah, and that is part yeah. of the problem. Part of, so you know th that's part of the problem is that we have made it out to study other positions even as something that needs to be apologized for. So that's shameful. Like if I yeah. were to pick up a Quran and study it, oh, don't do that. Well, you can't study the Quran. Well, why wouldn't I? If I wanted to reach Muslims, shouldn't I know what they think and believe? Well, and that goes back to that verse, I've become all things to all people that by any means I may win some, right? I've become right. all things, which means you really do have to engage with the culture that you find yourself in. Uh, if you want to reach Muslims, you have to know the Quran. And, you you know, I've got a friend um, whose name I can't share uh, because of, of privacy concerns, but he's a missionary in Saudi Arabia. Um, we, I met him a number of months ago. He's actually a, a good friend of uh, my, my lead pastor went to college with him. <clears throat> um, but we've become good friends since um, pray for him often and his family. 
But he had to learn the Quran in order to witness to people in Saudi Arabia, which is like, if you're found out to be a Christian there, you're dead. You get in big trouble. Um, leaving the country is the the might and being banned forever is like the the slap on the wrist, which rarely anyone ever gets. Um, but you know, he had to study uh muslim culture he had to study the quran he had to study the hadith um you know he had to study all of those things in order to accurately understand the culture and how best to witness to them um so yeah i mean you gotta you gotta learn the culture to minister in the culture that doesn't mean you embrace or engage you know or you know like fully give yourself over to the culture but you at least have to understand it right and so uh, now with this huge thread of anti-intellectualism in the church, because I have fought this too. Um, in fact, it took me, I, I now teach an apologetics course, which we do record the audio. I teach an apologetics course at Frontline Bible where I attend. Um, I teach an apologetics course on Sunday mornings and the audio is exclusive for Patreon listeners. If you want to listen to the class, uh, give $1 a month and you have access to it. Um, but uh, <laughs> We're very cheap. Uh, all the money goes straight back into the church split. But anyway, um, to getting better equipment and getting guests and, and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, but I mean, that was the thing. I, I remember me having those discussions with a lot of people like, look, we got to get this done. We got to do this. We got to get, we got to engage it. And then what I hear people say is, well, what we really need to do is focus more on the gospel. What we really need to do is focus on our identity in Christ. And I'm like, don't you understand that those are intellectual things? They're all intertwined. Um, they're all connected. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it can't just be your heart. If all we do is do secret friendly and focus on your heart and your feel goods, but we miss your mind, we haven't done the job. And if all you do is you come to a university and all we do is equip your mind and not your heart, you have also missed it. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You had something to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a discussion we've been having lately um, just in our ministry team. Um, and I've mentioned this to you a couple of times, Will, is that it, for me, Sunday morning is about equipping the believers, about equipping the church that's there. Uh, yes, I understand that we're going to have some people who might not have heard the gospel for the first time. And so there does need to be gospel presentation. Um, but by and large, what we're there for on Sunday is to equip the saints. Um, that is the time when the, the family gets together. We have a good talk. We, you know, we share in fellowship um, and we, you know, we can't open it up to new family members. Like I have no problem with that. But I think that when we get so focused on the seekers that we exclude to our detriment, those who want the meat, we have a problem. Right. You sacrifice um, the believers for the seeker. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when they get asked a question, like, for example, I had somebody come up to me uh, on Sunday asking me questions about free will and and uh, how our free will influences maybe our um, uh, the time of our death and, and how that interplays with God's foreknowledge and all and all of that. If I if I had not been well equipped to answer that question, it would have been a very different conversation. Um, because by nature and whether, whether this is good or not, I mean, we can have that debate another time. The pastor has definitely been put on a pedestal and we're supposed to know the things we're supposed to be able to explain the things. Um, and you know, um, that kind of, you know, mentality, um, and, but people, and this person was a believer. 
So like, but imagine if somebody had come up to me that wasn't a believer and asked that question or asked a theodicy question or something along those lines. Are you as a, are you as a believer, not, not pastor, not anything like that. Are you as a believer equipped to answer that question? Because by and large, most of the ministry that the church does is done outside of the building and it's done not by the pastors, although we, we do that, but it's done by the congregation. Right. Well, even the new Testament pattern shows that, right? Notice right, it was always right. the believers together here at when they were worshiping together, it was always them together hearing the word. And then they would only, and then they would go out and reach people. It was not, we hang out in the house and we hope that a seeker finds our house where we're having the service. It was, mm-hmm. we get to the, here, we equip each other and then we go out and reach people. And then we bring them in where we get yes. equipped further. And yes. we have completely, we've gone very business model with it, right? We have. Yeah. Do the logo, do the cool thing. And hopefully if we do things enough, we create enough attraction, create enough noise, people show up and then we get to give the gospel presentation. Problem is, is now we have to keep doing a gospel presentation every single week. And I remember growing up going, I under, and I, it sounded like I was like, I didn't want to hear the gospel anymore because I was like, I'm so tired of hearing the same story every week. I know mm-hmm. Jesus died for my sins. And can we yeah. move to something else? You know, what are other things that I need to know? What are things that we need to understand? Which is why when I was uh, full-time pastoring, and now I'm just like on the side, Mr. Associate guy. Um, but when I was uh, full-time pastoring every week, I was like, I need to bring information to these people that's new. I need to bring something that equips them yeah. now to help frame the Bible better. So mm-hmm. just, just little thoughts I have. Now, why do you think, Ian, why do you think that our church is the churches are nowadays so anti-intellectual. Do you think there's a reason for it? Do you think it's because maybe churches are scared to go there because now you're held more accountable? Well, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I think so. You can trace it kind of back to maybe the 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 fast food culture of our of, of academia, right? We just want to pump them out as fast as we can, um, and so. While education is good, I think that there's a lot that's lacking, especially in uh, now I went to a great school. So, you know, this is not about the school that I went to, but um, you, you, you have pastors who aren't theologians anymore. Um, You have pastors who are motivational speakers now. Um, So we've gone to this, like I said, it's, it's a fast food kind of McDonald's sort of church experience now where you come to get pumped up, not necessarily to learn. And I think we have underestimated the intelligence of our congregations so much that we, we don't um, think that they can handle what we have to say um, or, or the, the, the deeper things, not to say that that sounds very Gnostic, but you know, the, 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 the more intricate or more the meat. Um, hard to handle stuff, right. The meat, um, and so that's, that's, I think the combination of the fact that the pastors aren't really theologians anymore, mm-hmm. um, motivational well, speakers, and the fact that we undervalue or underestimate the intelligence of, of the average Christian that, that's think, contributed. I think one of the reasons why though, pastors aren't theologians anymore is part of that denominational divide as well. Think about mm-hmm. it every single time. Like if I go to Baptist school, I'm only getting Baptist doctrine. Yeah. That's it. In it. Period. I am not being challenged by any other viewpoint. I'm not a theologian. I don't have to look at the other viewpoint and wrestle it. I've been just indoctrinated with one view and I know I'm right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's and there's it. no room for other thought. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you go, you know what? I think, 
I think uh, baptism is different than that. I don't think it's a sprinkle. I think it's an immersion or someone goes, I think it's spirit. And, but if it doesn't align with your denomination, suddenly you lose out, you're mm-hmm. kicked. And so that's also part of that where it's like these schools now become, I, I don't call half the colleges out there um, indoctrination camps because they're yes. not really creating theologians. Uh, so I love where I go to school at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Check out Dr. Braxton Hunter at Trinity Radio. Uh, I was just on there. That was a lot of fun. But check them out. But that's why I love there because they go, all right, here's this class. Here's the spectrum of these views in Christianity. Great. Now I need you to write a paper uh, defending both positions on hell. <laughs> See, we don't do that anymore. I, no. I can't remember the last time. I mean, no, granted the like grace grace christian university made you do that like compare and contrast these views but i you know i i asked a friend of mine um you know what would you what would you do if you had to write for the opposite side well i would i don't believe it so why should i write about it why should i and and you know i've I've become good gaming buddies with with braxton and and um chris date and they did a weight loss competition okay now for those of you who don't know Braxton is a is a libertarian free will guy and Chris Date is a determinist guy. Um, and so they said whoever loses the most weight over this given period of time has to write a defense of the other person's point of view. Twenty five hundred words, I think, was the was the the word count requirement. Well, Chris Date won. So Braxton has to do the the defense as a as a libertarian <laughs> free will guy of determinism. Um, I read that. that they did, he did a whole episode but, when he did that. Yep. <laughs> You know, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the challenge I think of, of, you know, and I grew up doing debate in, in uh, high school and the, the whole challenge of the debate is, can you defend the other side? Because if you know how to defend the other side, you know how to attack the other side because you know where it's weak. Right. Um, My teacher challenged me uh, my senior year to, as a, as a, pro-life guy to defend the pro-choice position. That was probably the hardest thing that I have ever done because it was for a grade. Um, but I came out on the other side with so much of a better understanding of the pro-choice position that I was able to handle my pro-life arguments a lot better uh, because of that. Um, but yeah, we don't do that anymore. Like as, as a, as a libertarian free will guy, do we know what determinists actually believe or are we just straw manning them? Um, do we know what the, the, to, to put it more in, in the church context, do we know what the culture is saying about theodicy? Can we argue from their position, what they're saying about theodicy? And if not, the church hasn't done a really good job of saying, well, this is why there's evil in the world. Right. Um, well, you, you mentioned, you know, challenging. And I, do you think part of it is just pastors are worried about being challenged or worried about being asked these tough questions? Because we've done several videos now about people resigning the faith. And it seems like the common theme of every single one of them is well, I started asking the tough questions. I started asking them. Yes. I didn't have any answers. Mm-hmm. So therefore, Christianity is wrong. And here I go backpedaling away from it. Do you think that our pastors unequipped to answer those tough questions or do they might know the answers, but they're just, they're just nervous that they'll get challenged on them and they don't want to get into it. I I think there's a pretty good split there. Um, Especially with, with people who are leaving the faith. If they're, if they're so like, like Will said, the, the, the Bible colleges, the seminaries are indoctrination centers by and large. There are notable exceptions. Um, But 
we're, we're, so we're, we're, we're churning out indoctrinated pastors who are motivational speakers, but not necessarily uh, who might have good theology, but not necessarily theologians because theologians wrestle and they think, and they, they have to get outside the box. Like I might not agree with conditional immortality, but I've read about it because I have friends who are, and I want to be able to have an intelligent conversation. And should somebody come up to me and ask me, why don't you believe in conditional immortality? I have to give it a good defense of that, of that reason. Um, but I think it's because pastors, one, they, they want everybody to like them because it makes it a lot easier to do our job when people, <laughs> that's true. When, when we're, when we're liked, it makes it a lot easier. And so we don't, want I've never to been liked as a pastor. <laughs> what I, like, like? I was the one guy. <laughs> I like this. Will <laughs> it pisses yeah, everyone but, else off. <laughs> but I mean, being liked, being, being, you know, loved on feels, feels good. And, and it, and it helps us do our job as, as ministers of the gospel, because people, you know, uh, are more willing to listen. But the second you say something that steps on a toe, now I don't like you so much because you said something and it hurt my feelings. Um, you said something I don't agree with and that hurt my feelings. So you've, you've got that dynamic, I think. So one, I don't think pastors are being really well equipped outside of a few, like I said, notable exceptions. And I don't feel like they want to step on toes. And then there seems to be this mentality too of, well, I've got my degrees. I've got my licensing. I don't need to learn anymore. Yeah. Just keep reusing your sermon. It and... seems to be a, a willful ignorance, right? right yeah. I, I can't tell you, you know, part of, part of what I do as, as a, as a minister, part of what I'm required to do is part of my job description is to learn is to keep learning. Um, because the more I learn, the more, uh, the more better, uh, the more better, the better I can equip <laughs> my congregation to do, uh, to do the work. Right. Um, well, one of, one of the things that sticks out to me is the fact that it's like, look, even if that's, and that's not always natural for every pastor, like, oh, but that stuff bores me. Like, I, okay, maybe it just does. Maybe you never can grow past that. But I remember there would be a period of time that if ever anyone told me I would have a huge bookshelf over here that keeps getting loaded with books. If I have books and boxes upstairs, books laying around my house and all because I love to learn and I can't stop reading. And I wish I had all the time in the world to sit down and read. I would have told them that they were crazy because that was not mm-hmm. me. It was a mm-hmm. discipline I had to learn to love. And now well, how much of that I'm that it's boring to me is really code for I don't understand it. Right. It's or I just too don't deep want to for me. Sit. I don't understand it. Or I so just I'm don't jumping want to sit into down. this like, yeah, I'm jumping into this big book that presupposes that I know all of this information and all these technical terms, but I've never taken or I've never taken the time to read a beginner's book in that subject. So I can actually learn the terms. So once I get to that book, I'm so intimidated by the material. Well, it's just boring because we don't want to admit that we have a hard time understanding. Right. Right. Or, or on, on the other side, side of the spectrum here, we have to also understand that we live in the time of Netflix on demand, right. And YouTube and all that, dude, it's so much easier for people just to go home and binge watch a show, play a video game, turn off their brains and not exercise it. Um, so I think that's the other thing. It's like, wait, sitting down and engaging my mind for a little bit. Uh, cause some people it's like, man, I worked all day. I don't want to do that. And you know what? Mm. I get it. I worked, uh, today I worked about, mm, about 12 hours today. And I know here I am doing a podcast. It's like, (laughs) after doing that, it's like, dude, I get it. There are days I come home, but still before bed, I end up reading at least for an hour. And that's just so I can continue to equip myself. Is it sometimes I'm in the mood for it? No. Um, but generally speaking, I, 
always want to keep reading. Uh, but <laughs> Plus, that's that discipline aspect of it. Yeah. You know, well, I'm going to say something. Once we get into the habit of doing it, it's like, all right, well, I guess, you know, now I got to, you know, I've got my, I've got my hours set aside. I need to do this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah well, and you get in the habit of it. I was going to say something a little controversial here, probably. And this will be like, this is what we thought Brian was about. Um, I find that when I'm having a lot of discussions, debates, um, theological disagreements with people, um, one of the things that I get excited about when I'm reading more scripture, I'm reading books, I'm reading articles, I'm reading commentaries. I'm like, oh, that would actually help in that discussion. That's actually a, that actually is the point I was trying to make, but I didn't quite know how to articulate it. Mm-hmm. I think if you're engaging in the discussions, even in friendly disagreement, I think it will drive the knowledge because you're going to want to learn more. To me, when I read something like, oh, I, that's, that's a, that's a mic drop quote from scripture right there. Like, and I'm not saying like, I'm just going to use scriptures as just way to just, just beat down people with knowledge, but that is a way to get people excited about learning. And mm-hmm. I, and then once you're equipped with that knowledge, you can use it and you can articulate it and you can get closer and closer and closer to truth. Correct. Well, and that's, and that goes to, I mean, we're kind of answering that second question. Why is intellectualism important? And this is why. Um, and we mentioned in our <clears throat> planning session, Second Corinthians five eleven, which says, "Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others." But what we, but what we, <laughs> but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. That word "persuade" there, um, often we glance over that. Right. And that word "persuade" is patho, which means to properly induce one to believe by using words. Also, the, what is, so it says, so can read that part again real quick about persuasion. And then I'm going to parallel it to a very important proverb. So read yep, that therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade patho others. Great. But what the, we are is known to God. And I hope it is also known to your conscience. Right. And so, and what is the beginning of knowledge? So for using to persuade, you know, for the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, yep. right? So and that's what Proverbs 1 says. And so we have to understand the fact that knowledge, and I get this all the time, especially I've heard this from IFB. Well, knowledge puffs up. You are completely taken out that, that uh, what that verse is saying out of context is saying that if all you care about is knowledge, then you could become prideful. It's well, it's saying, a specific kind of knowledge. It says this knowledge puffs up and it's referring to those who are eating meat, sacrificed to idols and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's a very specific kind of knowledge and it's, <laughs> but right. knowledge done in the fear of the Lord with gentleness and humility, completely different. Exactly. And that has love Lord, you got all your heart, soul and mind. But then Hosea four, six says this, uh, my people are destroyed for want of knowledge, a lack of it, right? For want mm-hmm. of knowledge, because you rejected knowledge, I will also reject you as Kohen before me, which is priests, because mm-hmm. you forgot the Torah of your God. I will also forget your children. And he's mm-hmm. saying literally here, my people are destroyed. Why? Because they lack knowledge. They are not yeah. equipped. They don't understand. They don't know. They're ignorant fools. And so- now- if when we are sitting there trying to say, whoa, whoa, hold on, let's not talk about that, that can ruffle feathers when it's an, an equipping thing and an, an intellectual thing, it's a problem. 
and it mm-hmm. needs to be addressed. And it, we cannot ignore it in the church. It's important because guess what? I actually, so in my uh, opening week of, of uh, no, my second week of the apologetics course at Frontline, I got asked by somebody like, because I talked about how this is important for intellectuals. And this lady asked um, very politely and was just like, okay, but what do you mean by intellectuals? And I'm like, the people who live in their minds, the people who think things out. She's like, yeah, but how many people is that really? And of course her argument was, is all this worth it for a minority of people when we could be mm. doing something more effective for a bigger group? But I was like, yeah, you're right. The intellectuals, the weirdos, the thinkers, the readers, that's a small group in almost any congregation. You're right. But they're also the most influential, usually. They're the ones who are engineers, doctors, lawyers. They're those people that are in those higher up positions that are influential. And you want those people to be equipped with knowledge for your cause. That way they don't end up defaulting away from the faith and becoming mouthpieces against your cause. You want the- Well, look at how many people are leaving the church. Yeah, obviously they're leaving the church because because they're they're intellectual. We we live in a culture and a society where we have a lot of time to think because of the ease of access that we have to information, um, the amount of media that we consume. We by nature like to learn. I don't care what anybody says. We by nature like to learn. It's part of being a human being. And so we are by nature intellectual. It's just what we're intellectual about. That's the difference. But because we have so much access to information, people are naturally more, we're more in a thinking age than we ever have been. Um, and so we have to know these answers, but, but to that point in Hosea four, six, that, that word there for knowledge. Now my Hebrew is not as good as my Greek, but it's dot. Okay. Which means intelligence, knowledge, uh, discernment, understanding, but here's the underlying important part. It says, especially with skill. Now that, that with skill is very important because skill is something you practice. I'm skilled at guitar, not because I sat down and one day all of you know the guitar God just downloaded into me. <laughs> That'd be nice no, if I'm, that happened I, that way. Right. It would be nice. No kung be fu. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just know kung fu. Yeah, matrix style. You know kung fu now. Um, no, I'm good at guitar because I practiced that skill. I'm good at, at preaching because I practiced that skill. I'm good at singing because I practiced that skill. Um, so there's, there's a, a degree to which intelligence is something that is practiced, especially when this word da'at is used, where, um, we have that, that, that understanding, at least the Jews did. And so we can't divorce intelligence and skill from one another because intelligence is a practice skill. Knowledge is a practice skill. And you've got it, it's something that's got to be sharpened which is- and used. Which is what Proverbs 18.15 is getting at when it says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Or Proverbs 2 verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then of course, Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is what? Stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Now, and uh, we all love Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, right? Which is all scriptures breathed out by God. Theanustas. That's one of James White's favorite words. Theanustas. Out it's by a God. Fun word to say. It is a really fun word to say. God breathe. Um, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thorough, maybe uh, maybe equipped. I, I want, always want to say thoroughly equipped because that's the version I memorized for every good word. All of these words. In the Greek, you, you have the word for instruction, doctrine, training, the function of information. 
You have another word that means conviction, proof, possibility, persuasion, that by which a thing is proven or tested. You have another word that's about correction, setting something straight, the restoration of the upright state. And then you have this other word, uh, which is paideia, which is training as a child, education, or the whole education of a child. So that whole verse is about equipping people with knowledge and knowledge of scripture. But again, that has to have a logical framework by which or or from which we build. Um, Super important. Well, I think too, you know, especially talking to, I think we're talking to a lot of pastors here that were saying, hey, focus on knowledge, focus on feeding the mind as well as feeding the heart. Uh, we're mm-hmm. talking to elders and deacons. We're talking to people that are teaching Sunday school. There's something to focus on. But I think what I've kind of always been convicted of in the last, uh, always the last seven or eight years is that there's a strong pull for men specifically towards what I would call the sin of complacency to just, mm. just chill, just enjoy the status quo. Don't push yourself. Um, I think we see that excessively with Samson and judges. And um, so I think complacency is something that I think is part of what is driving this anti-intellectualism in the church. And I think we need to recognize it. It hurts marriages. It hurts Mm. fatherhood. It hurts in your job. So, and I, but I think our knowledge of the gospel, our witness for Christ is more important than all of those things. So we should most definitely not be complacent about the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of scripture. And to that point, one of the things that sticks out to me when you're saying that it affects everything is how it also, when the more intellectual you become, you'll notice also it makes you a healthier person because you'll Mm -hmm. become less defensive. See, one of the biggest issues I've noticed is that, for example, Brian and I will get, uh, we'll discuss with a lot of people online or in person. And a lot of times online, I could tell right when I comment a thought like that's incoherent or this is wrong or this is whatever because of this or this doesn't really make sense because of that. Instant claws come out, right? People defensive. And I'm like, whoa. But because I have engaged so much with other thought processes, I don't look at it as a, oh, I'm being attacked. I look at it as an exchange, as a dialogue, as a let's go back and forth. Um, even, Even in conversations with people at work, it gives me thicker skin. One people might say it's thicker skin, but it's not even thicker skin. It says I have a new frame of reference. I'm, I've reframed what's going on here and it's no longer a threat to me. Um, yeah. yep. Then the other thing is people forget the fact that Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. Why? Because he was a trained rabbi. You were mm-hmm. not able to be considered a rabbi, a teacher until you're 30 years old. People miss the fact that Jesus, people always just think of this guy Who's like, you know, Jesus, uh, the Jesus, uh, the, you know, uh, from Galilee, whatever, you know, from Galilee, they think of this guy who's, um, a carpenter, probably poor, uneducated and dumb who becomes the Messiah and teaches everyone a lesson. Cause he has a real relationship with God. Mm. He is a rabbi, which means that entire time, Jesus of Nazareth, he was learning. There's a reason why he grew in wisdom and stature. Yeah. 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 There's a reason why when he showed up at the synagogue, he was blowing the minds of the priests there. It's not because he's just God and made flesh. It's because he was learned. He was learned. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you he was learned in all. Actually, we know 
there was a there was a debate between two Jewish schools of thought of Hillel and Shammai. And Jesus directly speaks those issues, those questions on divorce. His answers were with the Hillel side of things. But he um, understood both sides. What? He understood both sides. He understood both sides. He yeah. understood both sides. He, he was educated within the groups that took place there. And he was learning that entire time. In fact, when he went, when he went there, when he was like, what, 12, 13, went into the temple, that was actually considered part of his rabbi growth, his, his growth as a student of, as a Jewish mm-hmm. man. Um, that was actually part of the normal trips that they would take. It's like, if you actually understand some of the Jewish culture there, you actually look and go, oh, Jesus was training to be a rabbi the whole time. That yeah. was his purpose. Yeah. So, well, and, and, it, and consider, you know, people want, people are like, let's go to the Bible. Okay. But the Bible was written by intellectual people. I mean, have you read Paul? Uh, <laughs> the book of Romans is, is constructed yeah. like a legal treatise. I found out something cool about Luke and Acts the other day that I had never considered before. And I, and I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that's very interesting and, and worthy of thought is that Luke being a physician, highly intelligent, probably considered one of the best historians of all time because of how accurate he got things. <clears throat> he was a good friend of Paul. We know that from scripture, but there was, there's some evidence. And I think it's pretty strong evidence to suggest that when Luke writes his gospel and the book of Acts, it's really he's addressing it to this guy named Theophilus, who uh, is by good historical evidence was the name of Paul's lawyer before Caesar. And so what Luke is doing there is he's writing a legal defense for Paul, which is why it reads the way that it does, which is why it is so historically accurate, which is why he went and got eyewitness testimony for all of the things that he's writing there, because he's trying to get context and framework for what Paul is doing. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was an intellectual. Uh, You think Matthew was a a tax collector, right? He had to know his P's and Q's. Um, He was very smart. He was very intellectual. We have Peter. Everybody wants to, um, to say Peter was a dumb fisherman. He was a business owner, guys. He owned a business. He made money. He knew how to fish. He, and again, I mean, he had employees. Like, it's not just like this guy is dumb. No, he was, he actually was an intellectual. You read what he wrote, and it's it's very Hebraic in the way that it's constructed. And well, it was he a was form very, that he had no. he was Jewish. He was Jewish. He was Jewish. <laughs> he was, which um, means he was raised in synagogues. He probably the had the entire Torah memorized, like many other good Jewish boys would have. Yeah. These People guys don't realize. Dumb. The dumb fisherman thing, like the dumb person thing in the Jewish community is a very different. They weren't dumb. They were highly intelligent people. That's kind of it's actually part of their downfall in parts of the test. Why they struggled with accepting Messiah as he was because they were so intellectual. They had a very specific, rigorous idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be, <laughs> which is why well, she so- didn't realize it was going to be Messiah in his second coming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, you know, he's still establishing <laughs> the kingdom, but first the kingdoms in spirit and then it comes in full yeah. force. Well, I think you also yeah. highlight there that they were so focused on their set of intellectualism they didn't even understand other schools of thought so when they were confronted with something that didn't quite fit with what they thought it was they couldn't handle it just like someone who doesn't study anything at all they reacted emotionally because they didn't understand it that's why understanding these different points of view escaping your echo chamber making sure that you understand the truth helps avoid that situation right there where you miss the messiah because you are thinking that you are too smart to get it 
Right. Well, and that's and that's the thing is is uh, wisdom tells knowledge how to behave. You, we're not just talking here about, and I think this is the criticism. We're not just talking about accumulating knowledge for the sake of accumulating knowledge. And we're not just saying to accumulate knowledge so you can beat other people over the head with it. That's that's not the Christian view of knowledge or of intellect or intelligence. We do it with wisdom because wisdom teaches knowledge how to behave. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we do it out of a place of not wanting to get puffed up, not wanting to get, um, uh, you know, uh, full of ourselves, a big head We're we're doing it because we actually care for people. And these are the kinds of things that are going to equip people to be better Christians. Right now. So, I mean, I think we've, so we've kind of, uh, We've hit a lot of this, and I think the point's clear. Intellectualism is biblical. The church needs to embrace it. The church needs to discipline itself within it. It is a biblical concept, and if you remove it, you are missing the boat. Um, The Bible was not written by a bunch of idiots. It's written by very Mm -hmm. intelligent human beings. So now my next question, for crying out loud, the the Deuteronomy, half of it is a legal document. legal treatise. Yes, it's literally case law being written out. Yeah, yeah. tell me more how they the sheep herders. But uh, yeah, so but the next so now to land the plane and as we bring this more to a close, how do you think we as people and as the church can bring intellectualism back in? And I think one point you mentioned I wanted to say is definitely an answer is stop thinking the congregation won't get it. Mm. I'm just mm-hmm. saying when I my apologetics class has been packed in there before um and we've had some a lot of the same people coming back week after week i was grabbed by one guy's like i am loving this i've never heard any of this in my life this is amazing um Mm -hmm. i've had other people after teaching some things and i got complicated i got technical but then at the end they went through like that was life-changing i have misunderstood that for so long and i have such a clearer understanding now and how that applies to my life so what are some things some ways so for me i think definitely not thinking your congregation is stupid they are not they're intelligent people what are the other ways that you think we can bring intellectualism into the church properly hashtag make pastors theologians again Um, (laughs) also on the merch so i think i think that that's where it starts it starts with the leadership in the church if the leadership in the church is willing to discipline themselves to to knowledge, um, and and again, not to get it just to get it, but to get it to use it and to use it in gentleness and humility with wisdom, I think that is where it starts. If we create a culture of intellectualism in our churches, that is going to see a radical change. And I think, Will, with you doing your apologetics course, I think that's a great way to do it, um, to, to sort of inject that in there. Um, again, yeah, not assuming that your congregation is stupid and listen, a lot of this, if if you don't, if you have a thirst for that knowledge, just start with something easy. Even if you think it's boring, just start with something easy. I mean, YouTube is full of really helpful videos. I spend a lot of my days when I'm like doing busy work, listening to debates, listening to lectures, uh, because I want to know, I, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a responsibility that I have to my congregation. Uh, my nickname around here is the scholar because, you know, you go to Ian, if you have a question um, about a technical thing in the Bible, because more, uh, if he doesn't know, he'll tell you, he doesn't know. And he'll come back next week with an answer, right? That's, that's kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm the church's Bible answer, man, I guess. Um, but I, I think, yeah. So it starts with the leadership. It starts with not assuming your um, uh, congregation is dumb. And, and then it's making intentional steps as a church 
to do things like apologetics classrooms to to make the sermons not technical but uh not shying away from the technicality either but making it easily understood um i always try to preach right at that ninth grade level um because i feel like that's where people can get it and then sometimes i throw in things for the you know the seminary level people who want to know um, I'll get into to the Greek grammar and the conditionals, but I, I do really think it starts with the it starts with the leadership. And uh, if we can make that hashtag go, hashtag make pastors theologians again, that'll um, that'll help. I think a lot. Well, you mentioned people coming to you for questions and stuff like that. I know there's pastors listening to this who are going. I really don't appreciate it when people ask those questions, and I really don't want to be asked a question that I don't know the answer to. And I think you need to spin that around, and you should be excited yeah. if someone is able. In your congregation to challenge you with a question so difficult that you don't know the answer to yet. You guys probably get it more than I do. I give them every once in a while. We're like, oh, hey, what do you think about this? And I got one just this past week. I was like, never been asked that before. Never even thought about it from that perspective. And I was really fascinated by it. And I didn't answer the question right away. I was like, because I got it in written form. I was like, let me do some research. You know where I went? Research it here. And Mm -hmm. and having a proper framework or how to look through that and understand the context, I was able to answer the question. And I think I answered it pretty, pretty thoroughly. And I think it was fun and it was, it was edifying for him. And it got me excited. I think pastors that are watching this should be excited. If you get asked a question, you don't know the answer to yet. Correct. Yep. Don't freak. Three scariest words in ministry. Yeah, I don't know. Scariest <laughs> words in ministry. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't like to say that uh, because again, we, we've, we've idolized, you know, a large part of the church has become pastor worship. We've idolized the pastor so much. That when we, you know, and I think this comes from like the fifties and the sixties, the pastor should be the one who has the answers. Um, and if he doesn't, that's a problem, right? So we have to put on this air, like we know everything, um, you know, because that's what we're called to do. We're called to show no weakness because if we show that we're human, that's a problem because the pastor is <laughs> supposed to be beyond reproach. He can't be human. He can't show weakness. He can't, you know, in, any of that. Um so when we say, I don't know, uh, it's actually really liberating. It's really freeing um, because that gives you the, 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 the time. It gives you the space to go research that answer and to build relationship rather than trying to run away from the question. You actually get to have an honest dialogue with somebody, right. which is, which can be transformational. Right. And I mean, I even had my father-in-law recently call me uh, for a theology question, which was for me, a super big deal since he used to never really take me theologically seriously back in the day um, just because of the, our, our viewpoints were so different, mm. but he called mm. me and asked me a great theological question. I was like, so here's what I've been told. I think this is a good answer. And I gave him the, the answer. I was like, but let me do, let me, let me uh, also go into scripture and see if I can find anything else for you. He goes, well, I think your answer actually answers the question. Well, I was like, I do too, but let me just double check. And we double check. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. And you know how, how awesome uh, it is to do, say that. And then people usually, guess what? They appreciate it. They go, thank you for saying that you don't know, but you're going to try to help me find out. Cause sometimes people ask questions where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I never, ever have thought to ask that question before mm-hmm. in my life. That is a great question. Well, it actually makes them feel more comfortable asking you questions. Because you, they know you're going to be honest with them. You're not going to try to snow them. You're not going to dodge the question or, or give a non-answer. You're actually going to take the time. And, and that's, you know, when we talk about addressing felt needs, I think answering those questions is really dealing with felt needs yep. uh, because that's, that's where it's at. 
I need an answer to this question because who knows, maybe they've, they've had that question at work or they've had that question in the relationship, uh, a friendship or whatever, or they, they've been thinking, they've been wrestling with the question themselves. Who knows? Right. Um, but we have to pay attention when those questions are asked be, because if we don't, we're going to continue to see this mass exodus out of the church. Right. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a shame that we've, we've gotten there, but I think that that's because of this anti-intellectual bent that the church seems to have lately. Right. Exactly. And I mean, like I said, I've been told before many times, academia is bad. Uh, well, knowledge puffs up. So stop trying to learn. And it's like, I think you're ignoring the rest of the other scriptures that say uh, knowledge is important. And again, it just makes you a better person. It does. It makes you a better person. I used to be extremely defensive and now mm-hmm. I am actually very chill. Like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of like a squirrel. I'm Chill-er. 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 People think yeah. what's funny is that people think I'm aggro on here, and but I'm like, you have no idea how much like more tame I am in comparison. I look at myself like, man, I've come so far. And people are like, wow, he's still a jerk. I'm like, okay, maybe you're right, but I try. Will is very chill. misunderstood. You're misunderstood, <laughs> but he doesn't like to sit still. So <laughs> I don't, I, can you tell I've been fidgeting with this pen for like the last 20 minutes? So uh, yeah, I understand. I would but, like to play with my to... flip-flops underneath my desk. <laughs> I just like to add like one of the, one of the most favorite things I've gotten to do with my father-in-law is debate theology. And my wife will come into his office and just look at us and shake her head and laugh because we got four or five Bibles out. He's got six of his commentaries out and we're discussing something really deep. And besides the times where he's like super sweet with my son and enjoying just him interact with my child, those have been my favorite times with him mm-hmm. is, is being able to engage at that level. Don't miss out on that with people in your family. Don't miss out with, on that with people that you're discipling or people in your church or even your pastor, because it can be fun and interesting. And guess what? You're probably going to learn something. Actually, so real talk for a second. Um, so we just went through, uh, when I was pastor at Door Baptist, uh, when we went through that split, that one that you mm-hmm. were there for. And I had these people walk in and five minutes before the service caused a big stink. with we'll a bunch of people who either leave in the church or the foyer, grabbing as many people as they could, trying to create a mass exodus. Um, I had to do a confrontation with them, rip them into my office, basically tell them that that's not going to be tolerated. Um, I love them, but no. Uh, and then they left. And I remember, I mean, that was when Brian said, I preached uh, hellfire brimstone. Oh my gosh. Cause I went up there. I had a, he sermon. made me a Baptist that day. <laughs> I had a sermon and I, 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 I marched up to that pulpit though. And I was so sick of the division over dumb stuff and people mm. not understanding basic scripture. And I just tore it up. I was like, all right, everyone, I'm saying this, turn to Galatians chapter four, turn to here, turn to here. And it was just all off the cuff. Just like, I'm done with this. And what's funny though, is that day, I mean, I was so frustrated. I was so close to being like, I'm done with ministry. I'm just going to get a secular job and live a peaceful life because this truly is a stiff necked people. Mm-hmm. And I got a little note that was dropped off on my desk by a lady in the church saying that, Hey, I see you basically, I see the burden that you're carrying. I know you probably feel broken, defeated, but every single day I see my husband break out uh, his Bible, study it like he's never studied before because of, because of his relationship with you, uh, gone through this and all this, mm. the, uh, has a new passion and love for God. I've seen it change my marriage. I've seen it change this and change that. So before you think you're a failure, know that you have done great work. And it was actually Stacy. He was your wife. Your I wife remember left that, me that now. And I was like, Oh, and I needed that for a moment. So by the way, before you people think that 
we're just saying only the mind counts. No, my heart needed that at yeah. that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. We're not saying well, it's a very holistic view of man, right? right? To balance the body, soul, spirit. I mean, uh, all of it's important. But I think we've emphasized so much the soul and the spirit that we've forgotten that there's this other part. Yeah. That is also undergoing sanctification, a part that we're supposed to use. God is a God of logic and order, and he made us able to recognize logic and order uh, again, and to utilize it. Again, the Torah was called the mind of God. Mm-hmm. So that should tell somebody something. So anyway, um, Ian, this is fun. flat cap theology, I've yes. thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, mainly because this is a pet topic of you and mine both. And I think you and I could literally rant about this for three hours, but um, for our for our listeners' sake, we'll go ahead and cut it. But before we do, uh, I ask this every single one of my guests, you already know what's coming. What do you think, since we are the church split as our sign here, our fancy new sign uh, up Love here, um, as the church split, uh, we're actually really about uniting a divided body. So how do you think flat cap theology and specifically your passion here can help unite the divided church? I think it really comes down to handling scripture in a consistent way. Uh, looking at what the Bible says and, and how we apply that. I mean, like I said, it's about, it's about education. It's about encouragement and it's about equipping people to go do the work. Um, and I think if we can get back to that idea that the church is to be the hands and feet of Christ and to actually go out and do because we've been equipped with knowledge, um, that will mend a lot of broken fences because those, those divisions that we have um, that, uh, like you said, you know, I'm on my doctrinal side of the fence. You're on your doctrinal side of the fence. And you know, we are minions. We don't mix with you Calvinists and none of us mix with you Catholics. And, you know, the, 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 the independent Baptists are all the way over there, separated and sanctified. Like, you know, um, if we can get back down to like the basics of the gospel and equip people with uh, a consistent metric through which to read scripture um, and equip them with solid truths, I think, I think that is what unites a divided body. I and, entirely agree. Hey, man, as they used to say. <laughs> hey, man. Um, so, all right, Ian. Well, guys, if you guys want to check out more of what Ian is doing, again, he has two videos up and a third one dropping in the next couple of days. Uh, the third one's a, a rebuttal to a rebuttal uh, of mid-access dispensationalism. So you might want to watch or listen to Ian's series on our channel. So that way you know exactly what Ian's talking about. That way you know that what Ian's representing. Um, and then what, let us know whether you agree or disagree with him. Um, and then, uh, but go questions. to his channel. Give me questions. Yes, yeah. questions, <laughs> all that. Engage in the YouTube comments. Ian will respond. Uh, there's two videos up, easy to get caught up on. Third one's dropping. Go there, check it out. Give him some support now as he's just now getting started. And I look forward to being uh, channel friends with you and doing more partnership stuff. Yeah. So yes. with that being yes. said, guys, thank you so much for chiming in and help bring intellectualism back into your church and let's make pastors theologians again. So with that being said, everyone take care and God bless.